My name is Adam, and I want to welcome you to episode eight of the Birding Life podcast, the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. Today, we have an exciting episode jam-packed with some great guests. In this episode, I will be having a chat to Adam Riley, the founder and owner of Rock Jumper Birding Tours. He'll be chatting about how Rock Jumper Tours was started, how we started his birding journey, his favorite birding destinations, and lots more. I'm also excited that Adam will be taking us on a virtual birding trip through Howick and the Cockroof area, one of KwaZulu-Natal's most exciting birding destinations. I will be touching base with Trevor Hardiker about rarities and special birds that have been seen in the Southern African region over the last few weeks and find out if there are any that are still worth chasing. I will also be having a chat with Mark Anderson, the CEO of BirdLife South Africa, about the May-June African BirdLife magazine, which because of all the strict COVID-19 regulations in South Africa, has just been released. But before we chat to today's guests, let's catch up with birding news from the Southern African region. The good news for birders in the region with the COVID-19 restrictions is that we have moved from level four to level three, which has allowed for a little bit more movement. During the lockdown, my local bird club, BirdLife Port Natal, hosted a lockdown birding challenge. Nicolette Forbes, the club chair, did an amazing job putting the challenge together. What was exciting was that in the lockdown photo album that was used on Facebook to share the birds that were seen during the challenge, a total of 174 species were recorded. Nicolette also put together a weekly bird quiz that was popular and birders either realized how much they knew or for people like me, they realized just how much they still have to learn about birds. If you're on the Etiquini area and you're not part of a bird club, I encourage you to get in contact with the club and find out how you can join. Or alternatively, get in contact with the club that is closest to you. Other news during the lockdown was that there was a Verose Eagle Isle showing in Howick opposite the graveyard. I cannot confirm or deny if birders went to see it, but there were some great photos on some WhatsApp groups. Last week, we also had an abdomen stalk at Pennington, which is just a few kilometers south of where I stay. Since the restrictions have eased, many people have started doing some birding drives around the area. I saw some stunning photos from Richard Fleck on Facebook yesterday of a marshal. I was able to get out and do some afternoon birding in an area close to where I stay. We were trying to get photos of a spotted eagle owl that had recently been seen. We didn't get to see the owl, but had a great time exploring some of the grasslands that make up the area. Some of the highlights included mocking cliff jake, orange-breasted bushrite, red-throated wryneck, and two jackal buzzards that were hunting for prey alongside the road. This stunning area is an area that I'm looking forward to accessing and exploring a lot more. I know there is still confusion around which places are open and which are not in terms of birding. I encourage birders to do some research before heading out and to heed the regulations that are in place in South Africa at the moment. If you have any news from the world of birding, either as a bird club or as an individual, please drop me an email at adam.birdinglifesa at gmail.com and I will consider featuring it on the show. So all this talk about special birds and the ease of restrictions, 
I'm sure has made some of you desperate to get out there and see something special for yourself. So we are going to kick things off and have a chat to Trevor Hardiker about some special birds that were seen during the lockdown and also what birds are still out there that could be possible targets this weekend. So Trevor, once again, I want to welcome you to the show. Um, you actually have the honor of being the first ever guest on the Birding Life podcast. And I just want to say I really appreciate all the support that you've given since this podcast has started. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful to see that it's growing. Uh, you know, I enjoy being involved and, and getting to chat about birds and birding. And um, I'm really hoping that this thing is going to continue to grow from strength to strength, Adam. Uh, well done on putting it together and growing it so far. I think you must be like the godfather of South African birding. You're not that guy who sits and says, Capetian, that you, you're that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, thank you. <laughs> Trevor, I noticed as soon as we went from level five to level four in South Africa, level five for those who are overseas was extreme lockdown. And when we went to level four, you were allowed to do exercise within a four kilometer radius. And what was crazy about this is birders who have never exercised in their life all of a sudden develops an exercise routine. And Trevor, I noticed you used your five kilometer radius in a crazy way. Can you tell us about some of the birds you saw and some of the places you visited over that time and also maybe how your birding is looking right now? Well, yeah, Adam, um, in all honesty, before this lockdown, I didn't really spend a lot of time birding in close proximity to, to home because obviously there's lots of exciting birding all over the countryside and that's generally where you go. So it was a bit of a trial and error thing that this lockdown started and it's been a lot of fun. I've had to walk or ride a bicycle to, to many interesting places within five kilometers of my home. And um, yeah, during the month of May, which I think was the extent of the level four lockdown, I managed to get out 147 species in, within five kilometers of my home, which in the Cape is pretty good, you know. <laughs> based around where you guys are in Natal or in Zululand or whatever, it's probably not all that exciting, but in the Cape, it's a, a pretty good total to get within uh, five kilometers of your home. Um, and I had some, some exciting birds, uh, you know, red-chested flufftail, Balon's crake, which are both pretty rare around Cape Town, you know, lots of um, raptors, regularly seen peregrines and lana falcons, African harrier hawks, marsh harriers, fish eagles, some nice bush birds along the way. Um, so yeah, all in all, it was a, it was a lot of fun. It, it, it actually got frustrating at times when there were certain species that I just couldn't find that, that I knew were common and, and had to be around, but because you're limited to where you can go and how long you can go for, uh, just couldn't find them during the period. Yeah, so Trevor, why I wanted to chat to you is you run the, the South African rare bird email service that goes out. And I'm sure that over the course of the lockdown, there must have been people that let you know about rare and special birds that we've seen, which must have been really frustrating. Um, can you tell us about some of the birds that were seen in the region in the time when, when the lockdown was on? Um, yeah, there have been some pretty exciting birds. I mean, probably... Amongst the most frustrating for me uh, was um, 
this American purple gallinule that was seen at, at Miller's Point, which is near Simonstown on the Cape Peninsula. There hasn't been one of those in Southern Africa for at least 15 years. Um, so it's been a very long time since I've last seen one of those. And it's, uh, sadly, it was outside my uh, exercise radius, so I couldn't get there. Um, there have been some other you know, pretty special birds uh, on a sub-region level. There's, uh, there's been an uh, immature rupels vulture at Pongola Nature Reserve in KwaZulu-Natal. There was Egyptian vulture in Itosha, black-tailed godwit in Wangi National Park. And then we've had some, some of the, the sort of megas that were here earlier in the year that have lingered on as well. You know, Saunders' turn on the San Sebastian Peninsula. Uh, Ross's Taraco still at Taranga Safari Lodge near Rundu, and the Spurwing Lapwing still around the Continental Tires Building in Port Elizabeth. And even on provincial levels, there have been some, some very exciting birds. Uh, you know, here in the Cape, we, there was a violet-backed starling that was seen in Nature's Valley. It's only the third record for the province. Uh, African cuckoo hawk in Stellenbosch, which is way out of range. You guys in KwaZulu-Natal, you had a swallowtail bee-eater in Pongola, which I think is only the 12th record for the province, and an abdom stork in Pennington, bizarre, yellow-bellied greenbull for Gauteng in Kibler Park in Johannesburg, which is well south of where they normally occur, like in Limpopo, and the Macra Sandgrass northeast of Polokwane. So some, some really, really odd regional vagrants turning up as well, which you know, obviously with more people being able to get out and exercise, um, they've been finding some interesting birds along the way. I must say, Trevor, the saddest one for me was this. There's a guy called James Orton who lives in our area. And my local beach is a beach called Baggies Beach in the Mabs and Toti. And I've been down there a couple of times. It's probably, oh, I've got a kilometer and a half from my house. And went down there, managed to get a couple of birds, sat on the bench, watched the birds that flew past, added some birds, this guy, James Orton, goes down to Baggies. Um, May 18th, he gets yeah. from the shore a juvenile northern giant petrel. Ah, yes, I remember hearing about that. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's like, my word, it's like, it's like my local beach. And <laughs> yeah, it's sad. Yes, no, no. I, look, I'm sure we've all been there in the past when you go and... Um, spend time at a site and I mean, I've had, had it happen to me where I go to a site and I, I spend a whole morning and I think I've worked the, the area really well and covered it. I'm sure there's nothing there. And then later that day, somebody sends me a message to say they found X, Y, or Z there, you know, at the same time that I was there and I didn't see it. So <laughs> it's, it's crazy what can happen sometimes. So I know we've moved to level three in terms of a country now, which is, allows a little bit more freedom. I know we're not allowed to do um, travel over provincial borders and that, but um, are there any special birds around right now that you know that are worth people going out and maybe making the time to chase this weekend? Man, I, I know that uh, in KZN that uh, Alan's Gallinule is still in Port Edward. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure what the... The, the whole level three regulation thing is still a little bit vague as to what you can and can't do in terms of moving out of metros and hotspots and things. Um, but that's still around. Uh, I know in the Eastern Cape, 
they're very excited because there's a yellow billed oxpecker that's been found uh, a day or two ago near Elliot, which is a first record for the province. So that's a, that's a crazy record, miles out of range for yellow billed oxpecker. Yeah, I think those are probably the the most exciting. Uh, I'm sure there's other stuff around. I mean, the African cuckoo hawk in Stellenbosch is probably still around. Uh, it was seen yesterday. Uh, the, the big problem, obviously, is that that bird's going to move over fair distances all the time. So to try and pin it down becomes a lot more difficult. But uh, yeah, yes, you know, we, we're heading effectively to the first weekend of level three because a lot of people have obviously been working now during level three. They've started going back to the office. So hopefully this weekend when more people are out and about we, and there's no limit on the time during the day, the interesting records will start uh, moving through uh, a lot more quickly and in bigger numbers. Well, I'm sure as soon as people can get out, the birders are now all planning, KZN are all planning to get out this week and go to places that are open. So I'm almost sure you're going to start, your phone's going to start buzzing a lot again. So my plea to, to anybody outside the, outside the Western Cape is please don't find anything that I need within the next few weeks because I can't get there. So Trevor, just a, a quick question. How can people firstly get records to you of rare, of rare birds and special birds? And secondly, is there a way, how can people subscribe to the, the rare birds email? So, okay, uh, well, I'll start with the first one in terms of subscribing. I mean, there, there is a, a URL link. So I suppose if they search uh, SA Rare Bird News uh, on Google, it'll take them to the Google group and they can join via uh, that website. Or if they're a little bit more technically challenged, um, they can just send me an email directly to hardacre at mweb.co.za and then I'll manually add them to the group. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, I don't just add people for the sake of it. Uh, people must actually send me a request to be added. Um, and then typically what people will do uh, from the field is they, they either send me an email or a, a WhatsApp or text message to my phone, uh, my number 0827800376, uh, to let me know about whatever it is that they found. And the most important thing with all of that is, is just about timing. So rather let me know directly from the field uh, what you found. Uh, you can send me a back of the camera a photograph just to confirm the ID and also tell me where it is. With, if you can do a, a, send me a drop pin or something, that also helps. And yeah, the quicker I get the news and if it's a really good record, the quicker I can share the news to everybody else. Thanks Trevor. If you'd like to subscribe to the Rare Birds email for Southern Africa, please check the links in the comments of this podcast. I'm now going to have a quick chat with Mark Anderson, the CEO of BirdLife South Africa, about the latest edition of the African BirdLife magazine. So once again, Mark, welcome to the show. I know this has been an incredibly busy season for you, so thanks for making the time to chat. Uh, pleasure to chat to you again, um, Adam. So we're going to have a quick chat about the May-June issue of the African BirdLife magazine. I know there have been all sorts of challenges getting this issue out, but it's finally on the shelves. Yes, it is. And great relief. So COVID-19 has caused uh, lots of problems for us, but we, we don't see them as problems. We see them as challenges, and we overcome every challenge, work hard to overcome them. 
And the first problem was actually getting it printed. So the magazine was ready for printing in early April, but the printers were closed. They weren't regarded as an essential service, so they were, they were closed. So it took about a month before it could be printed. Very uh, gratefully, it's now in retail, um, a lot of retail outlets around the country, but it still hasn't been posted to our members and subscribers. And I think now with us going down to level three on Monday, it should be posted uh, to our members and subscribers. So currently, the magazines are sitting in a warehouse in Cape Town. So on the cover is a stunning photo by Hugh Chittenden of a black Kukulun flight. And I just was saying before we, we did the interview, it was, it's a special photo for me because I had the opportunity to actually see the bird with you. So what else can we look forward to in this edition? There's some stunning photographs. And I think the pictures, the photographs of the, um, the black Kukul by Hugh Chittenden are just amazing. And I, I also dabble a bit in photography. I wish I was nearly as good as, as you, Chittenden, but these are definitely, hands down, the best photographs ever taken of the species. And there's a whole lot of pages in the magazine on his observations of these breeding black kukuls at Unzinzini. So an interesting article, and you, Chittenden, is one of the, I think, our country's, on the continent's top naturalists. So he's made some interesting observations about diet, the food items that the, these birds are feeding on, and also about nesting. There's about 20 photographs in this specific article about the black kukuls, so really stunning pictures and pics as they, as they grew up. And then in terms of other articles, there's a, there's a whole host of, of really interesting articles. We, you know, the magazine is 80 pages long. It's quite a challenge, I think, for our editor and her team to put this together. But I do like the portfolio of images taken by Isak Pretorius, who is one of Africa's top bird photographers. He's a, he's a good friend. He lives up here in Joburg. He spends a lot of his time in Zambia. And he is an exceptional um, photographer. This portfolio of images are all taken in South Luanga in Zambia, where Isak spends a fair amount of time. And we, we actually have a BirdLife South Africa photographic safari to South Luanga in December. We just hope it can, can continue. Isak's pictures are excellent. In fact, he, he probably is more of a, a big cat photographer than a bird photographer, but he's, you know, all the wildlife images he takes are, are excellent. There's another portfolio of images, or if I can call it that, by Martin Bernardi, who's a tour guide and also a, a really, really good photographer. And it's about um, bird watching in the Okavango Delta in Jao Reserve. And he's got some some absolutely beautiful uh, photographs. And just going looking at it, the the various eagle owls, the long-toed lapwings, I think are, are really nice. And he has a an incredible picture of a slaty egret as well, just a stunning image. And there's a whole host of of images, and also interesting things about uh, this reserve and the birds one can expect to to see at this reserve in in the Okavango Delta. So what, what we like about our magazine, what I'm most proud of, is the content is all original. So what you will read and see in the magazine hasn't been published anywhere else. And our editor, Eve Gracie, who is you know, really outstanding at her job, she prides herself in having original content in the magazine. So that's one of the things we, we, we most chuffed about. And because a lot of it is photographs and about the natural history of the, the bird and places to visit. It doesn't date. People, the magazines actually become collector's items. And I know a lot of people, in fact, this week somebody was telling me that he has a 
collection of all of the magazines, including its predecessor, which was called Africa Birds and Birding, on a shelf, and he frequently goes back and, and looks at them. So that's one of the things we pride ourselves on. The other is the nice mix we have of you know, natural history and popularizing bird watching and bird conservation and science. So there's a, there's a nice balance of you know, different things in the magazine. So there's, there's always scientific articles written or semi-scientific. There's an article, again, by Hugh Chittenden about telling the differences between mountain and African puppets with some photographs, which is quite good. And then the, the Fitzpatrick Institute publishes a, a few articles always on, on aspects of, of their research, the ontological research that they're, they're conducting. There's a few articles on the work that's taking place in the Kalahari, around looking at climate change effects on, on some of the desert birds. And uh, another example is an article by Professor Peter Ryan, who's the director of the Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology. And it's an article called Shrinking Returns, Long-Term Changes in Northern Cape Coastal Birds. So there, Peter has written about um, the changes that are taking place, the declines, unfortunately, in birds uh, along our west coast. So a whole diversity of articles. There's also a letters page. The letters page is, is popular. People can submit their, their observations and their photographs. There's some really stunning photographs taken by a lady called Maggie Griffiths at Southern Ground Hornbills um, with a, a snake in its, in its bill. She's clearly a very talented photographer. And at the back of the magazine, we have always a fun piece um, by somebody called Tutoides. You're not allowed to say who that is. It's the tailed end bit, and it's a more humorous aspect to, to birds and birding. And, of course, there's always the bird life pages as well. We have eight pages of which update our work. So there's an article about our Obertross Task Force work. There's something about fundraising that we've been doing, introducing some of our new staff, and so on and so on. So, I mean, it's absolute value for money. And for those who've stuck in lockdown in their homes and wanting something to do, you know, go to your local... CNA or exclusive books, pick and pay Woolworths, and hopefully they have it in stock, and buy a magazine. And oh, and I forgot to mention as well, this issue of the magazine also has a free coloring in book. Fancy Peacock has produced an incredible coloring in book for us. We commissioned him to do this, and it's uh, this it's inserted into the magazine, so it's for free. Something exciting for the kids to do during during lockdown. And on social media during the next few weeks, or well, the month of June, we're going to be having a little competition. We're going to be encouraging adults or parents to share the photo photographs of the pictures that have been colored in by their children. We all have some prizes through the month of June. And I think, Mark, the price of the magazine, it's, it's a, it's a well-priced magazine. And, and just as you're speaking, just paging through it, there's lots of prize giveaways. Um, I know there's binoculars um, you're giving away for different competitions, um, book giveaways. And I think something I like about the magazine is also the there's a, an advert, for example, the new Cecil Field Guide, and it's, it's an opportunity, not just in the articles that are written, but also just to, just to see new resources out there, new binoculars, and it's a great, great resource all around. Exactly. And, you know, so the advertorials are useful, and I've actually just painted to that Cecil advert. It's the new Cecil Birds of Southern Africa, Cecil Five, as we'll probably all be calling it. And it talks about the new um, functionalities some really interesting functionalities that are going to be included in this revised edition of, of our most famous bird, bird field guide. So there is, there is certainly lots in it. And, you know, the, the quality of the magazine, the paper quality is exceptional. 
and people like including these on their coffee table. We have the always in our home the, the most recent issues on our coffee table. And when we have guests, the first thing they do um, as they sit back with their cup of coffee is pick up one of the magazines and, and page through it. And by the end of the, 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 the coffee chat, I've generally convinced them that they should become a, a member or subscriber if they're not yet. So yeah, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. And how can people get their hands on the magazine? The best way is to go to our website, um, www.birdlife.org.za. And there's all the options there for um, getting it as a membership benefit or as a, a subscriber. So you could do either of them. And there's different rates as well. So the, there's individual rates, but if you're a senior citizen or younger than 18, you pay a, a cheaper rate. And we also even have a conservation league donors who pay a little bit more contribute to, to our work. Then we also obviously encourage people to give a gift, gift subscription or a gift membership. You know, I don't know, most people struggle to buy gifts. I'm terrible at buying gifts. I never know what to buy. But this is a wonderful gift to give somebody because it's not a one-sort gift. Six times during the subsequent year when they receive the magazine, they're going to be reminded of your generosity. Oh, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate being on the show and I really encourage everyone to actually go out and get the magazine. Um, I've got Magster on my, on my iPad and I've, you know, obviously gives you the opportunity to look at a couple of birding magazines from around the world. And honestly, the, the African Bird Life is probably one of the best bird magazines that there is available at the moment. Fully agree. And in fact, we receive lots of compliments. There are a few people around the world who regard it as the very best bird and birding magazine. We, we, we're exceptionally proud of it. BirdLife South Africa is doing an amazing work in South Africa as a conservation organization. Make sure to get the latest magazine. And even better, if you're not a member, why not contact BirdLife South Africa about taking up membership or even supporting them financially? I will post the link to their website in the comment section below. I'm now gonna have a chat to today's final guest, the founder and owner of Rock Jumper Birding Tours, as well as an amazing birder, Adam Riley. Okay, welcome, Adam. It's great to have you on the show. How have you been keeping during this difficult time? Hi there, Adam. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's, a, it's an honor to be on your podcast. Yeah, it's been a, been a tough time. Been fantastic on a, on a family front. Been five weeks uh, at our game lodge in Zululand, which was absolutely amazing. And lots of quality time with my kids, but uh, it's, it's been pretty brutal on the business front, being in the travel sector. So we've essentially uh, done everything we can to make sure our business will survive for when times uh, pick up again and the sun shines. And uh, it's just a matter of, of not worrying about it now. So Adam, you're rated by many as one of the best birders around. How did this love of birds start? That's a great question. As a small kid, I, I loved collecting things. I collected stones and stickers and stamps and coins, which I still collect. And I also enjoyed nature and, and going outdoors, but I didn't have any real focus in that direction. And when I was 13, I was given a Roberts Five for Christmas. And I immediately just made a list of all the birds that occurred around Peter Marisburg and then just started ticking them off. So it was basically a perfect combination of my collecting fetish combined with my, my love for the outdoors. And if you can excuse the term, I, I took to it like a duck to water and never looked back. And besides stamps and that kind of thing, what else did you collect? 
As a kid, I collected lots of things. Fortunately, I've kind of uh, reduced what I, what I collect now. So at this stage, it's mostly books on travel and natural history. I've got my coins down to mostly collecting um, Roman coins. So you didn't collect any of those expensive Star Wars toys that are worth millions? No, no, unfortunately, I should have done that. Hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I was young, we used to have those little matchbox cars and you see how much they actually cost now. I really wish I'd actually looked after them better because I could have sold some of them made a bit of money. That's true, but they, they sell best when they're still unopened in their boxes and what fun is that? So yeah, um, Adam, I've heard a bit of your inspiring story. Could you tell our listeners how you went from being in a corporate career to running one of the world's leading bird tour companies? I um, decided uh, when I was at school that I wanted to be a chartered accountant and that was the direction I headed even though I love birding I, I never considered it as a viable career option so I, I went to Marisburg Varsity and I, I did my BCom honors in accounting wrote my board exams and did my three years articles so I was on the trajectory to a, a corporate career and I qualified as a chartered accountant but I never actually entered the corporate world. I just realized during my articles that this is not what I really wanted to do my whole life. And my good friend, Jonathan Rousseau and I decided to, to start a birthday company. Actually, it was still in the final year of my articles. So I ended up working two different audits at once, one during the day, one at night, which got me, I ended up taking 18 weeks leave in my last year of articles and, and guiding tours. Jonathan had recently qualified as a doctor and we both thought it was still going to be a temporary thing and we go back to our, our careers. Um, but 22 years later, um, I'm still at it. So that's, that's how we, we started Rock Jumper. And uh, we started as a very small company, just John and I guiding a few tours. We started in, in Southern Africa and then added Madagascar and East Africa. In 2000, Jonathan uh, took a position with more of a general ecotourism company in the U.S. And I bought out his 50% share. And um, yeah, just been slowly growing it after 2000. And then we started doing Asia and Australasia and South America and North America. And now, now we cover the, the entire world. So Adam, what would you say is the thing that sets Rock Jumper Tours apart from every other birding company out there? I think the passion of our tour leaders is the most important thing. We just got really, really great tour leaders who are passionate about what they do. They really know their destinations, find those tricky birds. They'll go the extra mile, um, friendly. When, when I am uh, hiring for tour leaders, I don't necessarily look at the most experienced and qualified guys, but I actually look for good people who are going to look after our clients. And that's more important, in, in my opinion, than actually their birding skills. Although, you know, over time, um, they, they get to really know their birds well and, and have amazing birding skills. Also, because uh, we're now the largest birding tour company in the world, we do cover the entire planet. So virtually any worthwhile birding tour in the world, we actually offer. And with that, we've built a, a really loyal clientele and, and we offer fantastic loyalty programs that, that can't be beaten in the bird tour industry. So being based in South Africa and Mauritius, we are at a lower cost level than, than our sort of European and American competitors. So we do offer excellent value for money. 
remember you did a talk for BirdLife Port Natal, and one of the places that you spoke about was India. And honestly, I'd never thought of India as a destination that I would have gone to. But when you spoke of it and I saw some of the birds that could be seen in India, it was like all of a sudden I'm like trying to work out how can I get to India to do some birding. So out of all the places that Rock Jumper goes to, which is your favorite international destination? Yeah, India is fantastic. And it's, it's the closest you'll get to Africa outside of Africa. And I've done about 15 trips to India. I absolutely love it. But if I had to pick one destination, I would say the Andes, a country like Colombia or Ecuador, where you, you have the richest birding habitats in the world in the Andes as well as the Amazon. So a country like Colombia, for instance, is a little bit smaller than South Africa. We've got about 850 birds in South Africa, just under 1,000 in Southern Africa. And Colombia is just short of 2,000, so, so dub, double the number of Southern African species. Ecuador is a tiny country with uh, close to 1,700 bird species, so incredibly rich birding and, and some very, very exciting birds at that, including some of my favorite bird families like hummingbirds and antpitters. And then what is your craziest birding story? I mean, you've been all over the world. What is one story that sticks out that it's like crazy? It's tough to choose uh, one story. One of my, my favorite stories actually doesn't include birds, but to cut a long story short, I managed to see and photograph the first ever snow leopard kill in the wild that was ever recorded or photographed. Um, that was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen. But yeah, I've, I've found uh, many rare birds. It's always a, a great thrill to see rare birds. I've I've done quite a few um, fun bird races. We did one in, in Kruger about a year ago where we, we raced from the top to the bottom of Kruger. There were eight, eight different teams and you know, we ended up seeing 329 species um, in the week. And I found a golden pippet right at the end of the competition. That, that was particularly exciting. And, uh, you know, recently in Colombia, we were the first Westerners to see uh, an antpitter that had just been discovered. Uh, it still hasn't been named yet. And I got some great photos of it. So that, that was also a really exciting moment. So I think when a lot of people look at bird tour companies, there's, there's costs involved. So here's the question. Is it not just cheaper and easier to organize a trip yourself? Why go through a birding company? Um, so generally, yeah, I agree. It would be cheaper to arrange your own birding tour. Definitely not easier. Um, so part of what you're paying for is the convenience of having everything arranged. But as I mentioned earlier, our tour leaders are, are the major value add that uh, we provide in our product. So you get a professional tour leader who's going to show you the maximum number of birds and, and the greatest experiences and make it a, a, a seamless and as easy as possible experience. You know, some parts of the world are, are difficult, some are dangerous to travel on your own, like New Guinea. Whereas, you know, with, with us, with a slightly bigger group and we're able to travel more safely, we can, we can hire, you know, security. And I'm going back to New Guinea now, which an individual would be prohibitively expensive. So, yeah, so basically we, we're providing a, a great tour leader. We've done all the back office organizations, the bookings at individual hotels. We've picked the, the best local guides. We, we know how to exactly plan the tour so that you minimize your travel times, maximize your birding times, you know, times of day, you know, exact stakeouts uh, for the key species. 
you know, booking yourself, you've got to do all the research, you've got to book each place individually, um, you've got to book local guides and do many payments. We provide checklists, um, we give you trip reports afterwards, you keep up with all the taxonomy. We also carry um, so 100 million rands worth of, of insurance in case there's any accidents or you need to be repatriated. And those are services that you wouldn't get uh, if you book directly uh, yourself. So you've obviously, you cover a lot of different areas around the world like you've already spoken about now, but what goes into preparing for a new location? If you were scouting a new location, what would that look like for Rock Jumper Tours? Well, that's, that's one of the fun parts of the job is scouting new locations. So essentially, myself in the past, although I'm, I'm a bit limited now with my travel time, so, so one of our senior tour leaders will go out to the destination um, after they've done a lot of research and contacted all the uh, key local birders and guides. And they'll basically do a recce uh, around the country. And based on that, they'll figure out the ideal route for running a bird tour and which, which are the best hotels based on location and, and cost and cleanliness and, and everything else. And then we'll write out a, a detailed itinerary. We'll put together a checklist of the potential birds that you could see on that trip. And uh, then we'll launch it in the market. And on a personal basis, when you've done any of these trips yourself, not talking about rock jumper on a personal basis now, um, and you've gone on your own trips. Have you encountered any of these dodgy characters out there? I mean, there's some crazy guys in some countries. Have you encountered them? Had, had any run-ins with them? Um, yeah, I've had some some mad experiences over the years. You know, I was in uh, Ivory Coast uh, just when, when a coup happened there, and it took us about a week uh, to get out of the country. We ran into uh, several several bits of action that we'd rather not have seen. Uh, but fortunately, I've, I've never had a, a really, really bad experience, but a lot of ex- adventures, enough to, f- to fill a book or two with. And would you say that with Rock Jumper running the way it is and, you know, this kind of thing, are you living your dream right now? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> not, not exactly right now under this COVID-19 situation, but up until uh, it's, it's been an amazing uh, 22 years. And um, I've been fortunate to have traveled to about 100 countries around the world, seen about 8,000 bird species and uh, visited all seven continents and just had uh, the most amazing experiences. Um, you know, met uh, wonderful people, both as clients, birders around the world, local guides, local people. It's uh, been a charmed life. I'm, I'm very lucky to have experienced uh, what I have. So let's get a little bit closer to home. You are based in Hilton, KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa, which is a beautiful little town. And before we chat about birds, can you tell us a little bit about yourself at home? What are, who are you when you're not birding? Um, I'm mostly a dad. So I have three kids. Uh, William has just turned seven. Alex has just turned five and Victoria is two and a half. So they keep me busy and I spend as much time as I can with them. Uh, William's just uh, become crazy on, on fishing. So I take him fishing uh, when I can up in the car clue for elsewhere. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I collect uh, coins and books um, and particularly with books, I, I love reading. Um, so I'd spend as much time as I can uh, reading. We don't watch any TV. I enjoy sitting with a, a glass of 
uh, good red wine and a, a great book in front of me and a bit of peace and quiet at the end of a long day. We live on a, a beautiful uh, residential estate, so I take the dogs out walking a lot and at the same time I keep a monthly bird list. Also involved in, in running Rock Jumper, although I do have a management team that take over most of the responsibilities for, for ensuring the business runs smoothly. And who are some of your favorite authors? Um, Jared Diamond uh, is fantastic. Tim Flannery. But I quite enjoy reading about places that I've visited and what they were like 50 or 100 years ago. So um, I, I have a very large collection of, of early travel books from Africa, but, but also the entire world. Yeah, people like uh, Wallace and, and even Darwin with his uh, voyage around the world on the Beagle, etc. I mean, those are all wonderful books uh, to read and compare what they saw to, to what I see in, in modern times. Although even what I've been seeing has changed so much over the last 20 years, sadly, for the most part. So a lot of nonfiction books. Yeah, mostly nonfiction. At one stage, I didn't read fiction at all, but I actually do enjoy historical fiction. And, and you can actually learn a lot from fiction. So I, every third or fourth book I read now, I do, do try to select uh, um, some fiction. So something people have been asking as I've been preparing these podcasts is people have been asking for birding destinations and spots to find special birds. So when people ask me about my favorite places to go and bird, one of my favorite places is the Howick and Cockloof area. I live in Durban, so it's about an hour inland from Durban in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, and what's great about Howick as a destination is there are good restaurants to eat in, good accommodation, and all the major retail stores also have shops there, which makes it easy to get food and supplies when you're on a trip. And I know that we're in the middle of a lockdown at the moment, but what we're going to do today is we're going to do a little bit of a virtual birding trip from Howick into the Carcliffe area. And best of all, we're going to do this with the owner of Rock Jumper Tours, who has graciously agreed to almost be our, our field guide today. So, Adam, you ready to take us on this little birding trip today? Yeah, let's jump in and go exploring. So, we're first going to start in Howick. There's good birding right in the middle of town. Howick Falls is not only a popular tourist destination with its 100-meter-high waterfall, it's also a worthwhile birding stop. So... Adam, what are some species that one can expect to see there? Yeah, so it's, it's best to start off really early in Howick before at Howick Falls before the tourists arrive. Um, and it's a particularly good place for raptors. So sitting on the, on the rocks, uh, just scan from the viewpoint uh, along the cliffs. And uh, you can often see Lana and Peregrine Falcon. Uh, spotted Eagle Owl, there's usually a pair sitting on the rocks there. I've even seen Bald Ibis in the rocks. Cape Rock Thrush is, is another bird you often see around there. And um, just below the, the viewpoint itself, I've seen uh, Southern Chagra, which can be a, a tricky, tricky bird to find. Um, a little bit around the corner in, in the same valley, there's been a crowned eagle's nest that's been active for many, many years. So they're often around. Um, also fish eagles have nested there. And if you scan down into the pool at the base of the falls and along the river, it's good for African black duck, giant kingfishers, uh, even Cape Clawless otter. So it's, it's definitely worth spending half an hour at Howick Falls before you head into the Kharkoof itself. But like you said, I think a good piece of advice is get there early before the crowds get there. There's always those 
people that want to try to take your photographs and everything. So I think get there as early as you can. Exactly. So when we head out of um, Howick and we head towards the Cockloof area, about a kilometer or so out of town, on the right-hand side, you will come to Mgeni Valley Nature Reserve. Now, to be honest, I've birded here a couple of times, and it's not my favorite place to bird in the area. I remember we parked the car at one spot, and we decided to walk down the hill. And I didn't realize how far down the hill it actually was, and oh my word, the walk back was terrible. But like I said, it's not my favorite place to bird in the area, but maybe there's something that I'm missing. So over to you, Adam. Anything that makes Mgeni Nature Reserve uh, a good place to bird? Um, Amgeni is, is really good birding, but it's kind of a birding outing on its own. So if you're going to do Amgeni Valley, that's your birding outing is Amgeni Valley. And, and you spend the morning or the day hiking down into the valley and, and that brutal hike back up. So it, I would say it's a standalone trip and not really part of the, the Carcliffe route. So we don't usually do it. I have birded there at Shelter Falls for many years. There was a pair of Cape Eagle owls. And if you set up on, on top of the, the ridge in the evening, they, they would come out and sit opposite on the other side and hoot and call. So, so that's a really cool bird. And the grasslands around the top have produced some good birds over the years, uh, like uh, fantail grass bird and short-tailed pipit, etc. Um, and then obviously down in the valley is, is the typical bushveld species, including southern chagra again with forests on the cliffs. Uh, so, so it's a great birding destination, but it's, it's very much something you've got to be fairly fit to do. Yeah, uh, always worth exploring. And I think it's quite convenient that it's not far outside of Howick. So if you're in Howick for the weekend, it's just kind of a kilometer or so out of Howick, which is quite handy. Yeah, no, it is very convenient, but uh, I, I agree with you. I, I do prefer the Carcliffe compared to Amgeni Valley as a birding destination. Okay, so as we head further towards our next destination on our virtual birding trip, the Carcliffe Conservation Center, which is one of my favorite places to bird in the area, what can one expect on the drive between the two places? Um, so leaving Howick uh, towards the Carcliffe Conservation Center, it's, you, you're mostly going through plantations. In winter, you can sometimes see forest buzzards and there's long-crested eagles sit on the telephone lines. There's not particularly good birding until you actually get to the conservation center and the big open fields in that area. And uh, that's the best place in the Carcliffe for seeing all three species of cranes, uh, blue, gray-crowned, and of course, wattle. In winter in particular, it's good for southern ground hornbill. Stanley's bustards, if you scan out in those big open fields, um, and summer white stalks. I've seen southern ground hornbills as well as in this area. And then, yeah, once you get to the Carcliffe uh, Conservation Center, you pay a small entry fee. And there's two hides uh, down a, a small uh, private uh, farm road, each hide overlooking a, a dam. Some really fantastic birding at these wetlands. Uh, the one on the right-hand side on the small dam sometimes produces uh, lesser jacanas, which is an unusual bird for the Mittal Midlands. Um, the larger dam on, on the left-hand side is, is much richer in birds. And you can see snipe quite regularly there, um, African snipe. The cranes are sometimes right there as opposed to on the fields. And, and just a really nice collection of, of water birds. I think what makes it nice with the, the hides, especially the one, the one on the left, what's really great about that one is it's really good for photography. I remember on a cold morning a few years back, that's where I got a balanced crake as a lifer. And it's really great because, you know, the birds are right there in front of you. And it's, it's a good place, not just for birding, but also 
also for photography when the light's right. Yeah, exactly right. And the one on the right in winter is a fantastic place for roosting cranes and other waterfowl. So last winter we had, I think it got up to about 24 wattle cranes, about 50 or 60 crown cranes, and hundreds of spurwing geese and, and other waterfowl, sacred ibis, etc., coming down to roost. It was a, a spectacular sight. And what is the best time of the year to, to, to get the cranes? The cranes are around uh, any time of year, but especially after the fields have been harvested in late winter um, and spring is a good time when, when they gather in, in bigger numbers. And in summer, they're more in pairs than they are in winter. I know also in the right time there, you get, you get a lot of ammo falcon on the, the lines as you come towards the conservation center. Yeah, you sometimes get ammers. And I've actually seen uh, Western red-footed falcon as well. And there was even one uh, quite a few years ago that spent the winter um, around the crane center. I think last year there was a rose eagle owl at the conservation center, if I remember correctly. Yes. In fact, the very first rose eagle owl I ever saw in KZN was on a nest in Charlie McGillivray's farm, which is a little bit further down the road from, from the conservation center. He owns the dam on the left-hand side. So they actually breed in the area. I think what's also nice about the conservation center, there's also some mammals around of that. So it's, it's a really a good start. I find I go there in the morning normally. At, I find it's a good time of the day. I go there with a cup of coffee and a flask and just spend hours and hours there. It's a really great location. Indeed. Okay, so when you leave the Cockroof Conservation Center, we'll continue along the Cockroof Road. And just on a side note, this is not paid for advertising, but you're going to pass on the left-hand side a place called Shawswood. And this is one of my favorite places to stay in the area. It's one of those places, if you're looking for good budget accommodation, if you want to make your rands or your dollars or your pounds, whatever, stretch a bit further, it's a good place to stay. Um, they also have some really good nature trails. They go up the mountain through natural bush to a waterfall. I stayed there earlier this year, and where I stay, we very, really get owls. But it's a good spot both for barn and spotted eagle owls. So if you're looking for owls, it's a really good spot. I remember the one year we were sitting by the campfire at night, and and a couple of meters behind us, uh, spots of eagle owls started calling. So it's a really great spot for owls. And the owners are some of the nicest people you'll meet. Yeah, so we'll travel about 18 kilometers from Carcliffe Conservation Center to our next destination, Benvie Gardens. But before we get to Benvie Gardens, what are some of the things that we could expect to see on the drive between the two spots? So once you, you get beyond the Carcliffe Conservation Center, you start winding your way up and beginning to, to get into the very first uh, sections of forest. Um, actually, on your right is a quite a large private uh, nature reserve called Mborna. I've actually got a cottage there. That actually offers some, some fantastic birding there as well. We have very high population of uh, striped fluff tails in the grasslands. Also, black rump button quail, black wing lapwing. And the forests there are the only forests in the Kharkoof that I'm aware of that have uh, eastern bronze-napped or delagorgs pigeons. But as, as you head up to, to Benvie, you, you also go through a fair amount of exotic forest plantations. But regularly along that, that road, I do see forest buzzard in winter. And then when you turn right to, to Benvie, you go through a walk about, about three or 400 meters through some fantastic forest. And this, this is good for Narina Trogan, for orange ground thrush, bush black cap, um, olive bush stripe, Maisna Turocco, 
And then again, you, you pass through a bit of grassland. We have regularly seen southern ground hornballs before getting to, to Benvie Garden itself. Benvie is a, a really one of my favorite birding uh, spots in the world. My friend Eric Forsyth and I found it back in the late 80s. Uh, it's a private farm, belong, belongs to the Geeky family. And old Mr. Geeky, who's now sadly departed, he used to let us bird on his property. And uh, the main reason we, we, we got there eventually was we were looking for orange ground thrush. And we searched all over and not being able to find it. And Mr. Geeky said, oh, I've got them. And sure enough, just hopping around on his lawn almost as, as his pets, um, he had these orange ground thrushes. And um, they still feed them there. And, and they're probably the easiest place in the world to, to see orange ground thrush. But the farm's been in the family since the 1880s. They've planted wonderful trees from all over the world, redwoods and cypresses and cedars. And uh, they've just got what is basically an enormous uh, botanical garden with a mixture of indigenous and, and exotic trees. Great for raptors. They've got nesting crowned eagle. They've got nesting fish eagle, African harrier hawk. There's a few ponds where, where I've seen half-colored kingfishers and uh, long-tailed wagtail, mountain wagtail, as they call it now. Just wandering around the gardens, it's, as I mentioned, orange ground thrush is one of the key species, but also white-starred robin, uh, chorister robin chat, um, narina trogan. Um, you get huge gatherings of nasna taraka at certain times of year when the Chinese guavas are fruiting. You can see 50 to 100 nasna tarakos. It's great for things like African emerald cuckoo, forest buzzard in winter. Just a, a wonderful place to, to have a picnic and, and wander around. And green twin spots, another species we see regularly, as well as red-backed mannequin and sweet wax bull. So, fun place to bird. I know they've got really cool accommodation. They've got that treehouse you can stay in. Yeah, they've got, uh, it's, it's fairly basic, but it's, it's really, really nice. It's got showers and everything else. I've, I've stayed there a few times with my kids and we've had a lot of fun. They also have the, a house on the property that, that they can rent out for more traditional accommodation. Uh, staying there, you can, uh, African wood owls are quite common in the garden and butterfly flufftails are calling. So it's definitely worth staying over. And that's definitely worth it. I know it's just a small donation to get in and I think it's towards a great cause. It's one of the best places I agree with you to go, to go birding in the area. And it's close enough again from Durban to do it, even to do it as a day trip. Exactly, yes. So once we leave Benvie Gardens, we head back up towards the Cockcliffe Road and we're going to head towards um, the Craigie Burn Dam area. What can one expect? I know there are quite a few dams along the road, including Ritflay Dam. So what are some species and birding that one can expect along the road as we head down there? Um, yeah, so there's, there's some good birding along the road. You're getting into um, mostly grasslands now. Um, and there's, there's some really great roads you can just explore going off the main road. But again, this area, there's, there's breeding wattle cranes, there's breeding blue cranes. Stanley's or Denim's Busted is, is also fairly prevalent. Secretary birds, I see regularly. Marshall eagles, blackwing, lapwing. Um, in the rocky areas, Buff Street chats start getting things like uh, sort of slightly high elevation species like long-tailed widow bird and hook McCary. Um, in summer, yellow crown bishop, uh, cape bishop. And also, especially when, when the grass has been burnt, uh, bald ibis come down in, in good numbers from breeding colonies closer to Moy River. 
but yeah, just just some some really good birding. Uh, pale crown cysticula is is quite common in these grasslands as as well as wing snapping cysticula. The dams um, over the years have produced some great birds. Uh, things like Makoa duck, whiteback duck, South African shell duck, as as well as the usual waterfowl. But you know, a day in the Cockleaf, you you get such a range of species if you if you cover this this whole area that you end up with a pretty significant bird list. Remember a while ago, we were down birding by the, the Red Flag Dam and got a beautiful sighting of a rufous-breasted sparrowhawk. So it's a great area for raptors. And it was first place to saw secretary bird also. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really great place for birding, like you said. Yeah, uh, rufous-breasted sparrowhawk is, is a bird you regularly see in that area. I was actually up this last weekend and we had a brown snake eagle, which I was uh, surprised to see my first sighting in the Midlands. But it's, yeah, um, amazing for raptors. Um, little sparrowhawk as well, black sparrowhawk are nesting there, African harrier hawks. Um, we had a peregrine this weekend. It just shows that it's a particularly rich area um, because of the diversity of raptors, uh, are good indicator species. Probably good to get a little LBJ book before you drive through the, one of maybe fancy peacocks LBJ book or something because there's a lot of LBJs as you drive through the area. Yeah, and winter time as we are now, um, you get interesting birds coming into the burns. Um, a sentinel rock thrush, I see quite regularly, buffy pipit. A few years ago, I had a sickle wing chat. Um, so you, you always got to keep a, a lookout for interesting, interesting LBJs. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, I think it might, might have been last year, but we were coming out of the Cockloof Conservation Center and we just turned just right and there was some farm workers working on the just on the left of the road and we got an abdom stalk there so it's really it's always worth just driving along and just taking note what there is so yeah um adam we've done a virtual trip through the area looking at the best spots in the area um if you were to plan a trip to the area how would that look and what tips would you give to people to maximize birding in this area so, yeah, a full, a full day trip is, is well worthwhile. Obviously, if you can stay over, you can hit two places early in the morning. But assuming you, you're just coming up from Durban or, or Peter Marisburg for the day, um, I'd start at dawn at, at Howick Falls. And then I would probably head straight up, birding along the roads all the way to the forest patch just above Benvy. And I mentioned then drop down into Benvy, bird there through mid-morning, then head up late morning up into the grasslands um, towards Reetflay and turn around, maybe have, have lunch back at the Carcliff Crane Centre or Conservation Centre and uh, spend your late afternoon birding there. If you wanted to try for Cape Eagle Isle, you could try that and towards sunset in Amgani Valley and then head out. That would give you a full day of birding. And what sort of species counts would one expect to see in the day obviously i know there's varying levels of birders are listing but what kind of species count would you would you say someone would get for the day in this kind of area um in summer i'd say 120 to 150 and um, maybe up to 100 in winter do the cockloof as part of our birding big day many years ago when i used to do it and yeah we used to go from from the cockloof all the way down to durban but we got into the 270s uh, several times a lot of that was was in the car cliff. Yeah, and I think the thing which I said earlier, which is nice about this area, if you, even if you don't want to do the pack lunch thing um, and you can get back to Harwick for lunch, there's some really good places to eat, some good coffee shops. And it's a great place just to for a day out in terms of Harwick and the areas around. It's really worth a, a day trip or making a weekend of it even. 
That's true. So um, just to finish off, um, how can people make contact with you if they would like to find out more information about Rock Jumper Tours? Yeah, you're welcome to send an email to info at rockjumper.com and uh, get in touch with us. And uh, yeah, we're more than happy to send you a brochure or give you information about what we do. Oh, thanks so much, Adam. I really appreciate your time. Um, we'll be sure to post all those links into the comment section in this podcast. So thanks more for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, chat soon. It's been fun. Thank you very much. So thanks to all the guests that were today's show. It's really been great to chat to you all. Don't forget, all the necessary links will be in the comments of this podcast. I'm also finalizing my website, which will provide even more information about the birders that have been featured, birding locations, as well as birding products. So watch out for that in the near future. I have another exciting episode being put together for next week. We'll be chatting about another one of South Africa's exciting birding destinations, as well as chatting about an exciting product that is available right now in Southern Africa. Don't forget to follow The Birding Life on SoundCloud, Instagram, and Facebook. I really do appreciate everybody that takes the time to interact with these accounts. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.